Derek and Mike podcast. Welcome to the show. Thanks so much for joining us. We really appreciate you being here. Hit us up on Twitter at Derek and Mike Pod. We're on Instagram as Derek and Mike or on our website, DerekandMike.com. My name is Mike and this is my boy, Derek. What's up, Mike? What's up, everybody? Derek, you are looking fantastic with your fancy ass new camera over there. How you doing? Oh, good. Good. Thank you. Yeah, it's, it's pretty fancy, huh? Yeah. This is, uh, I can see Canon 80D uh, with a Sigma art lens, uh, 18 to 35. Um, I think it's a 1.5 aperture uh, lens. Uh, pretty fancy smancy. I, you could be making all of that up, and I'd continue nodding like, oh, yeah, yeah. No, those are all super impressive specs. Yeah, boy, thank you. Yes. Yeah. 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 So that means we need to actually like make a video with this um, so people can see how, how amazing you look. Instead of just, you know, we normally do audio only and they don't get to partake in the uh, visual feast that I get to enjoy while we while we talk on Zoom. Well, thank you, Mike. I think you're uh, if I'm reading between the lines, you're telling me I'm a good looking guy. I'm just being sarcastic. You chose (laughs) you set up this amazing camera. You're like, I'm going to look fantastic today and I'm not going to shave and I'm going to wear a hat and uh, I'm going to I'm going to look fantastic. But I will put zero effort into my parents. Yeah, yeah, that's pretty much where I that's where goal. I landed today. You shaved the beard um, though, right? You were way more bushman recently, and now you're just kind of like, you know, close cropped beard man. I did, I did. Um, you know, I I left the heat on. I the heat just just bumped on here. Oh. I don't mean to get all like take us. I broke the fourth wall. Oh, yeah, Are, dude. Am I allowed to do that? No, nah, yeah, you wall? got the heat on. You got the heat on. Are you sweating over there or something? Are you cold? What's going well, on? Well, we're going to hear it in the, in the mic, which is annoying. Oh, but, yeah, uh, yeah. Well, well, turn your heat off. But, I mean, okay, uh, turn my heat off. That, that's, yeah, that, that's some old man yes, shit there, dude. We're just like, I'm cold. I need a heater. Yeah, well, I did shave. I did shave my beard, and I accidentally used the number one instead of the number two. Ah. So. I have about another, you know, four days to get back to where I was at. I think will be, mm. yeah, mm. four days. Turn that bad boy off real quick. And yeah, yeah. Go ahead. You keep everybody uh, entertained. All right. I'll second. just keep talking about your beard. So if you can grow okay. that bushy ass giant beard in uh, four days, that makes me feel really ashamed of my inability to grow a beard. So right now I've got a barely perceptible, slight tinge of a shadow of a beard and i haven't shaved in four days this is uh this is my four-day growth or lack thereof yeah so i've, I've got i've got nothing um okay. we won't tell derek I'm, that yeah yeah um i <laughs> i'm sure when i go back and listen to this i'll i'm gonna find a nice little nugget of surprise there I'm uh, sure, huh? always always but yeah. yeah no your beard looks good dude shave with a one one's probably a good length for you yeah, you know, I, it still shows the the gray here. You know, I'm getting, yeah. I'm an, I'm I'm an old man, man. I'm getting to be an old man here. Yeah, I know. You got to you got to like use a heater and stuff. I know. <laughs> yeah. Well, I guess I guess being in the middle of April, um, you know, maybe that is a little bit strange. But we've had some unclement weather. Isn't that a word? Unclement. Ooh, inclement. Inclement. Oh, inclement. 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 In- inclement. Weather. Yeah. Inclement. There it is. My brain kind of Yeah. 
I got tripped up on some uh, neural pathway there when I said that. Um, also known as a brain fart. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's a neural pathway oh. disorder. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> Technically speaking, yeah, I had a brain fart. Do do not uh, punch down, Mike. Do not punch down on people. Okay, <laughs> I, I have a disorder. I have a, I have a neural pathway disorder. Oh yeah. man, that's funny, dude. That's funny. Yeah. We were talking about Will Smith in the last show, and I, I saw something, and I probably shouldn't even bring it up if I don't know the details, but I saw a headline on some news channel as I was walking by it with the sound off, so they were kind of subtitling it, and it had, the, the title was like, Will Smith banned uh, from something. Do you know anything about that? Did he like get banned from the Academy, or what was the what was the final ruling of the group of, of you know... Overinflated yeah. egotists who run. He got that banned academy. from the. I, I thought he got banned from the Oscars for ten years. Is what it was. Oh, and they didn't really? take the reward back. Yeah, they didn't take. So the he reward gets back. to keep his best actor Oscar, but uh, he can't come back for ten years. Yeah, and then the question is: Does he is he still able to get Oscars and just not be there? Like, oh, the best Oscar went to Will Smith, who. Obviously cannot be with us tonight. He's because... in detention, so he'll be joining us, you know, via Zoom. Uh, oh, that's kind of weird. Yeah, yeah, so... It's kind of a um, half-assed... I demand clarity. <laughs> yeah, that's a half-assed non-punishment, really. Like, you can still do everything and receive awards and do whatever, but you just can't come to the party for 10 years. Huh. Yeah, yeah, and I, and I guess the word was he's okay with that, Um and you know what? Uh, we didn't do it because you're okay with that. Like, it's not about whether yeah, you're yeah. okay with that. Like, like, no, no response needed. Yeah, like, oh, yeah. as long as Will Smith's cool with it, we're cool with it. No, we don't care if you're cool with it. It's supposed to be a punishment. You're not supposed to be happy with it. But I guess maybe he's trying to chop the legs off the punishment by being like, oh, yeah, no biggie. That's cool. That's fine, guys. I'm okay with that. Yeah, yeah I'm okay with that. Like, oh, good. Okay, now we can finalize our plan to ban you for 10 years um, because luckily you're cool with it. He may not have really said that, but I might be making that up. Or Sounds maybe I thought I heard it. that somewhere, or maybe it might be my neuropathway disease. Another brain know. fart. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, that's kind of a weak punishment. And what's the thinking there? It's like, ah, in 10 years, he'll be an older, more distinguished, more gentlemanly fella, and uh, less likely to strike presenters in the face. <laughs> Yeah, you know, as time goes on, I do feel a little bit bad for him too. I mean, there, there's there's no winners in this entire thing. You know, it's just a shit show ever all the way around. Um, uh, bad, poor joke, poor taste of joke. Um, yeah, it's not that bad. Uh, you know, you got to give a little bit of um, allowance to the the comedian because if you want to laugh then you have to give allowances, a little bit more allowances to comedians. If you want comedians to continue to exist, we have to allow them to uh, walk up to that line, you know? Yeah. And yeah. there's definitely been people that have crossed that line, and they push the line continuously. And some people love that, you know? And, and that's kind of how we, we find new, new comedy in new areas. But I thought it was funny because I saw a meme today where... Um, it was a father and a son, and they were walking through a museum. And uh, behind this this glass, they had a, a a man standing up in a microphone, and it said comedy. And the dad said, "Yeah, they used to have this. That used to be a thing." <laughs> <laughs> 
yeah. uh, that existed and it died in 2021. Yeah, that's sad. You know, I mean, it's it's been getting harder and harder for comedians to say anything edgy, crack on anybody or any ethnic group or any 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 group really, any any self-identified, self-defined group of anything. Um, you can't say anything about anybody anymore. And it's like, yeah, dude, I don't really think it's cool to be out just like attacking people and hurting their feelings and being a dick. But that's what comedy is to a certain extent, you know. And if someone goes too far and they're too big of a dick, then we respond by not going to their shows or or watching the TV shows they make or just not consuming their product but they should be willing they should be able to go out there and say whatever the hell they want and we'll be the judge of whether or not we want to patronize them and that's different than cancel culture to say like I don't like what he said so I need to prevent him from ever being able to work again is different from oh I don't like what he said so I'm just not a fan of that guy I'm not going to be you know um listening to his stuff or watching his shows or going to his shows, that kind of thing. Yeah, no, absolutely. It's like the, uh, the judge is the audience. Um, you don't have to go up and slap the comedian. Um, <laughs> we'll figure out, you know, things stand on their own, right? So if you have poor jokes or you cross lines, that stands on its own and you look like a shithead. And, yeah. uh, that's kind of just, I don't think the joke was that mean. I mean, yeah, it was probably yeah, like, it not wasn't. the, it wasn't, it wasn't it, I mean, it, it, A, it wasn't that bad, and B, it wasn't that funny. It was just kind of a whatever. You know, it's one of those retrospect things, right, where, like, you, you know, in the time, with with the cadence that he said it and the intonation that he said it, uh, it it seemed like it went really smooth, right? Like, it was almost, and, and it was funny. Uh, even Will Smith laughed at it. Yeah. So it was like, but then when you analyze it from an analytical point of view and you see that you're kind of making fun of somebody's um, medical, I don't know, diagnosis or something that they can't really help, that is poor taste. But, sure. But when you add in the intonation and the, um, am I saying that right? Inton like the way that he said it and yeah, you yeah, know, yeah, his the delivery, it was intent. just, yeah, it was yeah. like, yeah, so... Yeah, he wasn't mean-spirited. It was just kind of like, hey, you know, I'm up here saying funny things, and uh, I don't know. Shit, man. Give the guy a pass. If it's not a good joke, we'll all just kind of go like, eh, yeah, that was kind of dicky, and let that be the end of it. You know, really, like, you got to take it to the nines, and, and I'm sure he regrets what he did now or whatever, but who knows? I don't know. Um, just seemed ghetto. Well, you know, out of this, I did, I found out that I think that I have alopecia, too. Oh, um, man. You want to see? Well, um, they might be looking for a new star of G.I. Jane 2. Yeah, look, see? Let's see. Yeah. Whoa. Mm -hmm. Wow. You got to pick your hat up higher. We couldn't see your hairline. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, you haven't look had it. hair in decades, right? Yeah, no, I haven't. Mm -hmm. How long is this? You, you probably haven't had hair since you bought that hat. That hat looks about as old as your ability to grow hair. I shaved off my hair in 2006, May, 2006. May, May 6th of 06. And was that because of hair loss or because of you my being ordination. Like super into Buddhism? You were there. It was my ordination. Oh, you shaved your head at that party? Uh-huh. Right before like, the party. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah, I, I don't remember the hair shaving part of it but that's like you a private, there for that private you, thing. you showed up and i had already had my hair shaved okay well i don't remember being shocked that you were bald though huh 
Yeah, I think I probably cut it short before that. You know? always kind of rocked pretty short hair. Yeah, it was kind of short before that. I was kind of working my way into the position. That was the party where I brought the uh, Nagasaki missile-shaped sake yeah. uh, as a gift, right? Yeah, that's where you brought the um, the mushroom cloud land uh, uh, rice Death from above to, <laughs> to a Japanese uh, Soto temple. Yeah. Um, as a gift <laughs> to... <laughs> oh my yeah. god that's so funny and totally inadvertent I didn't even think about it uh, until did you bring it up when you opened the gift or did someone else like raise an eyebrow you, or how to... no I remember clearly you didn't realize until like the last minute it was like because every, people were handing me gifts you know and uh-huh. that was like it was like oh let me get this go thank you thank you thank you and then you were like uh, I'm sorry. <laughs> no. And the Zen teacher was there, like right in front of it. And you, you, you came out in front of it. You, you went out in front of it and you said, I'm sorry, this is probably not the best gift to give. Um, uh, uh, but it's all I got. So <laughs> I didn't realize when I picked it up at the store that I was like, um, uh, <laughs> appearing to support the bombing of, uh, Nagasaki. Um, yeah, but Somehow this bottle made it onto the shelf, <laughs> which <laughs> and it got through I, QA. I don't um, remember my thoughts on something like the bombing of of Hiroshima and Nagasaki back in those days. I don't even know if I thought about them much at all. I was pretty young and and not super into history. But now, as someone who studied a good deal of history, um, I am I would say reluctantly supportive of the dropping of the two bombs on Japan. Um, for a whole number of reasons, but it's a controversial thing to say that. Oh yeah, it was a great thing to drop two bombs on Japan because um, it certainly wasn't great. Nothing where that many people are are killed is great, um, but I do believe it was the right decision. Um, but still, not a great gift to present at a uh, at a Japanese celebration. Yeah, boy, <clears throat> you, you just got. You, let me. Uh, you just stepped in some doo doo there. Um, no, you didn't, but you're right. That is very controversial, right? But yeah. yet I feel the same way though, because, and, uh, and it's not, it is horrible. It's actually horrible, but like they were not going to surrender. Yeah. Yeah. They were mobilizing um, women and children and elderly, literally giving them like sharpened sticks, uh, and telling them that if the American invaders capture you, they'll do all this horrible stuff. They'll, you know, rape and pillage and plunder and basically they're just mindless murderous animals so um you're better off dying than letting them capture you and you better try to kill as many as you can before you die and here's a sharpened stick and they literally like give it to a six-year-old kid and um that's why a lot of japanese people were um choosing suicide before the the anticipated invasion there's a lot of footage of of japanese people like jumping off cliffs to kill themselves before the Americans got there because of Japanese propaganda. Yeah, terrible, dude. The Japanese military, not necessarily the government or the emperor himself, but the military really started taking over the war machine toward the end when it was it was a total lost cause. The the Japanese government knew that they were going to lose after Midway, um, which was pretty early in the war. And um, the military was just unwilling to accept that reality and had the mentality of then we're just going to go down fighting and we expect every Japanese person to go down fighting 
and it was just sad. And by the time it became so evident that that they couldn't win, it became a kill as many as you can before you die message from the Japanese military. And and um, it, it's it, it's just yeah, it would have been an insane amount of lives lost if two bombs weren't dropped and a less but still insane amount of lives were lost. Like terrible decisions to have to make, you know? Yeah, to say, lose, lose. Right. Yeah, yeah. To yeah. say, oh, a million dead is better than two million dead. Just like, good God, either way, it's just an immense amount of lives lost. And if, if I remember correctly, they were, we gave them a warning saying, look, oh, yeah. we have we these leaflets. bombs. Yeah, yeah, because the military wasn't responding. We basically told them enough, and they were just like, yeah, whatever. You know, they were unresponsive to any notion of surrender. And so we dropped leaflets over the population, over Hiroshima and Nagasaki, and we're just over all, all sorts of places. Um, and we're basically just like, hey, uh, you know, we're coming. So, you know, you please surrender to us. We promise that you'll be treated humanely and all this. But I, I don't know how many Japanese heeded that warning and did surrender to us. I know some, but I don't think many um, because the propaganda was so widely spread that they truly believed that the Americans were just going to, you know, um, massacre them and stuff, which is sad. Yeah, propaganda is a very effective tool, and mm-hmm. it and it becomes very entrenched. Uh, it's yep. um, yeah, and then uh, and then after uh, Hiroshima, you know, they were still, you know, I think they were still told, look, there's another one. Like, yeah, this is not going to end here. Uh, please right. surrender. You know, the secret um, was that we only had two. We made it appear as if we can just keep doing this as long as you keep as long as you want cities to be just vaporized in an instant. Um, you know, it's up to you. But after every one of these, we'll give you the chance. We recommend surrender and we'll even give you terms. You know, I don't even think we were pressing unconditional surrender at that point, because at that point it was it was a real honor thing, you know, um, which played a big role in, in the Japanese society. Um, and and uh yeah, all we had were two, um, and uh, I, I think that was part of the secret is that we didn't want them to know that we only had two, but after the first, there was a warning that, hey, this is going to happen again, and they didn't comply with demands for surrender soon enough, so we dropped the second one, and then right after that, um, they, uh, they, you know, put up the white flag. I thought Thankfully, I heard as finally, well, too, wasn't wasn't there some hand-to-hand combat involved um, uh, oh, on yeah, the Japanese the, land. Yes, I don't know a ton about the Japanese invasion itself, but I'm pretty sure troops landed on the island, and uh, there was a good deal of that. I really don't know a whole lot about that. Uh, I, I remember seeing that that the the fighting was just it couldn't be more horrendous. Like the oh yeah, um, the actual um, killing. Like and it I think was, some of that may have been the surrounding islands than the Japanese mainland. I'm really I'm I'm not I don't know. I shouldn't say this because I'm not sure enough about it, but I, there certainly was plenty of that horrible hand-to-hand fighting in the islands surrounding Japan as the island hopping, island hopping campaign got closer and closer. Um, I don't know if we ever landed on the mainland to do actual troop invasion or if we dropped the two bombs preemptively to landing on the mainland. Um, I don't know, but uh, my grandpa went to uh, Hiroshima, Hiroshima not long after um, he joined in like 50, so it would have been like five or six years after the, the bombing, which we bombed, dropped those bombs in um, 45. And so he joined in, I think, 50 
and then was involved in the Korean War after World War II. But he visited Japan just on kind of like an army trip for, I don't know, training. Or I think they were over there like helping out, helping reconstruct or just put the pieces back together. And his his perspective of what Japan was like just a few years after flattening those cities and the amount of people killed um, was surprising to me, at least. And it's hard to put yourself in the in the times because they were so different. But you would think that Japanese citizens would just hate Americans after two bombings like that and bringing them to surrender, you know. But um, there was largely a feeling of of respect and and like a lot of hospitality and not like fake hospitality, but they were like truly thankful for America's help and in putting them back together and reconstructing. And I wonder, I'm just speculating that maybe there was some thankfulness that the war was finally over from the citizens. You know, the citizens might have just been like, um, hey, our government's been forcing us into this, you know, just bloodbath for so long that we're glad you guys ended it. Um, I don't know. And, and you're right. Expensive. There were significant rebuilding efforts over there. And I think yeah, we, yeah. we helped them become an industrialized nation. Um, oh, yeah. And put them on yeah, a yeah. map, an industrialized nation map. So it's much different than what it seems like we would do today. Um, because even like with the fall of Soviet Union, uh, when the wall came down, um, like instead of like helping them rebuild over there, uh, we sent over Playboy, you know, and we mm. sent over people to like pull out Russian brides, you know, and like it was even that that aftermath was horrible. Of course, that wasn't a physical war. That was a cold mm. war, you know, but. Um. Yeah, that, that the the time and the people back then just had much more uh, morality, I think, than than we experience today. Yeah, maybe a little more worldliness or a little more um, humility. Yeah, if it, more depth, I think, maybe is a good way to describe it. It feels like things are pretty shallow and petty uh, these days. But after something like World War Two, I think it's hard to imagine how the the vibe of the world would be before during and after a conflict of that scale um because that's just all consuming you know it's like in every every aspect of the phrase it's world changing um you know not just redrawing borders and and renaming countries and rebuilding governments but just mentally and socially like what that monstrous of a of a devastating few years would would do to human societies um it was just a complete reset of everywhere and everything and everybody um and different everywhere right like i just finished a book actually a really really long biography on winston churchill and i wanted to read it for a long time or listen to it i listened to the audiobook and he's always been a guy that interests me, but it's like a 35-hour audiobook, so it's just kind of sat in my wish list forever. Like, oh, yeah, I'm going to listen to that one day, but that's a hell of a chunk of, of material to take on, you know? And I know he's an interesting guy, or I knew he was an interesting guy, but I guess I never thought he would be interesting enough to dive into a 30-plus-hour audiobook. Yeah. Um, once I finally did, the 35-hour audiobook, like, wasn't long enough. It was one of the most amazing, interesting, um, entertaining, and intense audiobooks or biographies I've, I've, I've ever read. And um, he was just an endlessly interesting guy in so many ways, like, super cool, super funny, brilliant, military strategist, politician, like, everything. The guy was just incredible. 
and I never knew a lot about the World War from the England perspective, in which they were in in it before we were, like several years, they were at war, um, being bombarded by German Luftwaffe way before we ever got involved, because we were all just kind of sitting on our hands over here, you know, just kind of like, oh yeah, we're gonna, we'll try to help, like we're here for moral support, essentially, but we didn't really give them shit, we weren't giving them any men or material. What's Luftwaffe, Um, is that a missile? That's the German Air Force. Oh. Yeah, so the German Air Force was dropping bombs like all over England, bombing London itself. Um, and uh, those stories are crazy. Like, I kind of knew that stuff took place, but I didn't really know any of the detail. And and um, a guy like Winston Churchill, who was prime minister at the time, literally, like, refusing to leave London, staying in London when it was under bombardment for months and months. And uh, yeah, the guy was just an inspirational leader, man. He was a super cool guy. Yeah, I have to say I don't know a whole lot about that either. Um, well, you know much more after 35 hours of, of listening to him. That was a big one. Yeah, and then even do when I when I when I become interested in World War II stuff, I gravitate toward the Pacific Theater, the American Japanese conflict that is mostly around uh, the Navy, which I find so interesting, like aircraft carriers and those those early fighter jets and and. Um, uh, that kind of stuff, submarines and all that is so interesting to me that I've kind of largely neglected the the land war, the the European war. Um, a lot of interesting stuff there, uh, a lot of interesting personalities, and there's so much more to learn and listen to. But that Winston Churchill biography just really got me all lit up on that side. If it was more exposure to it than I've ever had. Yeah, that that sub stuff was interesting. You know, as uh, you know, been reading that book uh, or listening to that book. Um, uh, was, I don't even remember the name of it, but it talks. Oh about- yeah, yeah, I can tell it's had a huge impact on you. <laughs> yeah, the submarine it. warfare—it's—it's it's crazy, dude. Because the book we're reading—it's—it's it's like yeah, super early sub, like primitive, almost like liter- well, literally handmade subs. But then later on, what submarine warfare became in World War II is crazy, dude. Where you know these guys are going down into these um these underwater vessels, and yeah, the technology is vastly improved on what it was earlier like in world war one or even before that but still super super dangerous without real radar um you know a lot of it was done by sight uh and then if they got detected like they you know a a ship would see a submarine lurking off off uh away from a convoy or whatever like oh yeah some you know german boats would spot an american sub and the americans would dive down and then the german boats would position themselves over top and just drop depth charges inadvertently on top of where the submarines expected to be and then to be inside of a sub you know under the water just hearing depth charges go off uh, off in the distance somewhere who knows how close or how many or how long it's going to go on you're just kind of like well shit i'll just sit here and fucking Fuck clench this. my butt and cross my fingers yikes and those first generation ones they they had hand crank they in order yeah. to to move the propeller and everybody yeah. on board had to do a hand crank yeah. and i don't know how they had um how they could really see or what light they had under there or how Very they even had light yeah but some of the earliest subs i think it was called the pioneer um was one of the very earliest subs in the civil war that was tested and it had no no glass in it whatsoever so you would kind of cruise on the surface with the with the uh, the hatch open and stick your head out and you'd be able to see like oh okay there's some ships over there 300 degrees that way 
and then you lower your head back into the hatch, seal mm-hmm. the hatch, dive down, and that's it, dude. You had no no visibility, no awareness of where you were. And one of those early, early subs um, navigated poorly and ended up going nose first into the dirt uh, on the bottom of the ocean, and it stuck there. And the crew inside had no idea that it was not even moving, let alone that it was, you know, on the on the bottom. Oh, but shit. they thought they were just still going, so they just cranked away on the propeller uh, while their nose was just buried in the dirt. They just continued cranking away until they ran out of air, and then, um, you know, you convert enough oxygen to um, carbon dioxide, then bad shit happens, and they were all just found later, but just kept cranking away. And, and a lot of them died just on the launch of the sub because it would, like, inadvertently fill up with water. Yeah, yeah, roll and over. they're basically in a death machine. Yeah, <laughs> dude, can you imagine just... being in a, in a metal tube uh, <laughs> that, yeah, just pitch black, metal tube, uh, just sinking to the bottom? Like, you can feel yourself. I don't even know if you feel yourself going down. You just eventually feel a big thunk, and you're stationary, and you're like... Ah, fuck. Oh, shit. <laughs> it's pitch black. <laughs> I'm in a metal tube with, like, six other dudes. And, uh, well, this sucks. And I guess you just start groping for the manhole. But then the problem with the manhole is, like, negative pressure. I don't know what you would say, but the pressure of the ocean pushing down on the manhole or on the, on the hatch. So you can't just open the door and swim out. You. And then the, the atrocious accounts of the men mm. that died that they found that died later yeah. um, after they cranked that, that can yeah. open um, and found out that they, it's just like, like that book says, it's just human nature to just start clawing at the fucking uh, metal. And, and it's true. What are you going to just let yourself die? It's human nature to like, try to try to survive and just, um, man, I just can't imagine the uh, desperation. Um. Yeah, the fear and then the survival um, response where you're like, oh, well, if you all just calmly wait till the sub fills with water, then you can easily open the hatch because then there's no pressure on it because it's the same inside and outside the sub. So you just wait for the sub to fill up with water and then you calmly open the hatch and then swim out one by one. And then you all swim to the surface and you're fine. Relax. Um, But uh, no, (laughs) that's not how it's going to happen. People are going to panic, push for the door. uh you know, trip over each other, stampede each other. Like the people aren't just going to be calm in that, in that almost certain death scenario. On my end right now, it sounds like you're underwater a little bit, but, um, Oh no, is that's perfect for the, uh, for the submarine topic. Oh yeah. (laughs) It's a filter. I I just put, I put on my underwater audio filter. I I thought it would add some drama to our conversation. Oh, I like it. I like it. I guess it's Uh, not recording normal on my side, but do I still sound watery? Um, yeah, but it could just be Zoom or whatever. Yeah, it's probably Zoom. It probably um, doesn't matter. That's all right. Yeah. 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 But crazy. Yeah, dude, the, the, those early days of submarines, um, fuck that. And uh, even, dude, like the early days of ship warfare. Like, dude, uh, have you ever read or watched any movies about, like, early ship warfare? Like, probably pirate movies are probably the most common, but even, like, like, uh, revolutionary or war of 1812 era movies where where frigates and ships of the line are like you know lining up side by side for like cannon broadside attacks and stuff like that no i haven't i haven't looked into that how would that happen Uh, would they be all formal and shit like when the when the british invaded and they would just all like say oh i'm just gonna stand here and 
we'll take our shots and you take your shots. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like that um, that really formal trading of volleys, you know, just yeah. kind of like, okay, we are here in formation, standing at an approximate <laughs> distance across a field, and your team's turn to ready, aim, and fire. Go ahead. You've won the coin toss. You may fire first. Boom. Oh, shit. Our entire front line is dead. Okay. <laughs> Second line, step forward. Your turn now. And, uh... Yeah, dude, I mean, it's crazy. It's not that silly, but still feels very silly just to have two giant groups standing still in front of each other. And, you know, one team just <laughs> uh, opens up, blasts a whole line across, blasts a whole volley across the line. The the opposing teams, you know, forward most men, I'll just drop the second one, step over their bodies and load, fire. Crazy, man. Crazy form of warfare. Isn't that how... Isn't that how we eventually beat them, though? Because we we transitioned to guerrilla warfare. Yeah, that was a they, large they advantage. Um, was was tactics of not standing in front of them, waiting to be shot. Like, uh, you know, <laughs> I just I just don't know. We you were know, we, we were strategic geniuses. Nature. We're like, you know, it'd be good as if I didn't stand here <laughs> and wait for them to shoot me. There's way more of them. Uh, yeah. maybe, maybe we go like stand behind a tree or something, Lieutenant. Is that cool? Can I go? like crouch behind a rock do you mind um, it just seems to defy human nature to just stand there and just like wait for a shot to be fired at you like i'm sorry i'm gonna lay down at the very least like oh oh i'm sorry sergeant i fell like, yeah <laughs> but i was i was you, still able to shoot while i was laying on the ground you can stand up and present as large of a target as possible to our enemy <laughs> dude yeah no, I know yeah. it's 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 crazy, and you just imagine the fear of these young boys being called off to war, where you're expected to just stand in line like that, and you're standing in the front line, loading your musket. But you know what? That takes thirty seconds if you're really good at it. Um, it must feel like an eternity trying to, you know, pull out a, a shot, ram it down the muzzle, then pour in the powder and put a firing cap on your hammer of the rifle and all these different steps while someone's literally trying to do the same thing faster than you and shoot um, must be nerve-wracking as hell. And then uh, you're just expected to stand there and hold formation. And I, I, I don't know. I mean, it, it, it does just seem like it defies human nature to just stand there and do that. So, But, I mean, that's probably why there's, so, there's such an element of brainwashing, for lack of a better word, that needs to go into military training because... Um, that's how wars were fought, and you had to break people of their their natural tendency to just fucking run. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. so which of course was a problem. Desertion and running from a battlefield and breaking ranks like happened, but I don't know. It's amazing to me that it didn't happen more. You know? Yeah, and, and it is. You're right about that because it is against human nature to even shoot and kill somebody. Oh uh, yeah, like that's yeah. that's not human nature. Human nature, no, we we have to unfortunately be broken down, like you're saying, and and taught that, and that mm -hmm. has to be like drilled into somebody to to be able to do that. Yeah, so. yeah. I'm always like really envious and respectful and and in awe of people who choose to serve. As someone who did not choose to serve, um, I guess for a number of reasons, but fear of being shot certainly factors into those number of reasons. Um, so I'm always like really impressed by people who chose to serve, um, and, and ultra impressed by people who deployed and, you know, really honestly put themselves in harm's way or were, for, were, you know, put in situations where they had to cause harm or death to others, you know, like I, I, I yeah. can't wrap my mind entirely around that. And, um, 
I am as as cheesy as it sounds, and um, like it just makes me feel like wow, you know, like thank you for your service, kind of a thing. Yeah. As a total non-military guy, um, because they do more than I could ever understand, and their bravery is impressive to me. Um, and I'm grateful for that because, I mean, that's the price of freedom without trying to sound yeah. too cliche or whatever. It's like, no, I, it's I, true. I enjoy my freedom and that really is what freedom costs. And thank God yeah, for those guys out there, you know, um, paying that price. No, I, I, it's a relief to hear you say that because a lot of people don't understand what that price of freedom is. They don't understand yeah. what the price of freedom means. And it, and it's, it's sad, but the truth is, is that like you do have, uh, powers that want to take control of and, and not allow you to have just a family life, you know? Right. There's not so, so there's, always seems to be, have to be a sacrifice that's made by somebody in order uh-huh. to buy that freedom for us. And we need, we need to like profoundly appreciate, re- profoundly appreciate that and respect the people yeah. that do put themselves in a harm, harm's for way sure. in order so that we can have just our ordinary life that we live here in America. And we're very lucky to have that. Yeah. 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 I mean, even just like, um, well, I mean, our, our holidays of Memorial Day and Veterans Day, like geared around those ideas, are important holidays, not just a day off work or a or a good weekend to go buy a car. Um, and those are like the, this past Veterans Day. I remember thinking, like, sadly and 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 ashamedly, I've never really done much to celebrate or honor the memory of our veterans, other than like called a few members of my family who have actually served or shoot them a text like, Hey dude, I really appreciate your service. Or, you know, you're really impressive to me and today's a good day to tell you and that kind of mushy stuff. I'll do that. But, um, I would like to figure out a way to do more to show that appreciation, um, in a more real way to, to build that example for my boys. Um, and maybe find some way when they get a little bit older that they could, they could participate in some sort of an appreciation, um, either event or maybe we could give back somehow or go and volunteer somewhere or do something to solidify that act of appreciation around those those ideas would be cool. Yeah, I think that's a tough one because uh, I I'm definitely took for granted all that stuff for granted until like I Mm -hmm. really did realize kind of like how you realize now that that price of freedom, what the cost of that actually is. And, uh, it took me a lot of years, even, even I grew up, I'm an army brat, you know? So I grew up on military bases all my life. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, still even then I didn't quite understand what was at stake and what we were doing. Did you, so your dad was in the army and you traveled around. You were, that's why you mm-hmm. lived all over the world, right? Germany and, and, uh, all over. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. He was in the army. Uh, um, he was a, a staff sergeant. And... Oh, okay. My brother-in-law's a staff sergeant. So army. Okay. My brother-in-law's in the Marines. Uh, obviously both branches have staff sergeants. Yeah. I, um, I only know how the army works. You know, you have like the enlisted and then you have the officers. So like, uh, enlisted is one path. Officers is a completely different path. Like they, they never cross. Like if you go to, in other words, if you go to school and then you go in the army, you're totally in a different track. You're like, you're an officer and then you, you can make your way up 
the ranks. Okay. Totally different ladder. But if you're enlisted, you go from like private, which is E and, and all the classifications are, are prepended with E, which means Mm. enlisted. So you have E1, which I think is private and then E2, uh, I'm not sure what that is. E3, probably like private first class. I don't know, something like that. And you, you go up to like E6 is staff sergeant. E7 is, um, SFC sergeant first class. Uh, and then, then you go up to like master sergeant and, um, you know, I, I don't know what all of them are. Okay. It usually can take years to get up there. And I actually had a friend, um, I say had, I don't talk to him much, but I'll, he's, he, I like him a lot. Uh, we don't still stay in touch, but he was an army ranger and he actually, he was enlisted and he actually made it to, uh, um, Sergeant first class in four years, which was like, wow. um, he because you you only do that if you you're in a wartime scenario really oh yeah so, so yeah so war kind of presents more opportunities to rank up makes sense yeah you get you get um you go up the ranks much more mm-hmm. when you actually uh engage well i know from and i don't know how this plays sometimes military rankings and structure confuse me but i do know from all my time studying uh civil war i know a lot of people were ranked up with a um, brevet ranking. So they would be like a brevet general or a brevet major general or whatever, which basically meant, um, you're technically a general, um, for all intents and purposes right now on the battlefield, but your official commission hasn't come through. Um, but you're basically acting as if you were that now. And I don't even think that means that you will be that rank later. It just means that, Hey, right now we need a general. You, uh, are taking this over. You are a brevet general. Yeah, you're kind of standing in. Yeah. Um, there, there was a great documentary on the Afghan war, and I'm struggling for the name, but I remember it did start with an R, and it's on Netflix. It was like, not Renegade, but something very interesting. I'll, I'll swing back and find it. But Yeah, if only there was like a website where you could search things. <laughs> yeah. We should invent one. Is it? Yeah, dude. You know what? <laughs> I think I'll create one. I'm going to call it. You should Google. like real quick. <laughs> yeah. Um, but boy, it, it like, it shows the inside of, uh, these kids going to battle. And I say kids because even like the, um, the sergeant, uh, of that squad is like, uh, uh, probably 26, you know, and all oh, these yeah. kids are just like, um, they're fighting in the, against the Afghanis and, you know, so, sometimes in retrospect, I look back at some of these wars and I'm just, uh, I'm not, you know, there's the, should we have been there kind of thing, mm-hmm. you know, and, and, and I hate throwing that in there because these guys really, they put their life on the line. You yeah. Know? To, to question the worthiness of a cause when guys are out there fighting and dying is, um, probably not our place, but it's hard not to speculate. Well, uh, but then you, you got know, these I mean, people throwing them over there, you know, which is really well, where we where the blame, that's where the blame lies. lies. Yeah. yeah. So it's like, um, you know, but uh, it it really is a documentary that just shows the camaraderie of mm-hmm. how these guys uh, ended up becoming um, just extremely close, and uh, they they loved each other, you know, well, and that you know it, it was just it's so. Uh, the bond that they they found with 
their squad was just uh, off the charts. And so much so that when they came back to civilian life, they wanted to go back. Yeah. They, they, they didn't feel comfortable yeah, not that, being in that. And that same story echoes across every bit of military history I've ever um, read or watched, all the way back as, as far as they have diary entries or any kind of firsthand accounts of war, is um, not just the camaraderie that's developed there, because, yeah, when you're under those kind of stressful situations, they become like brothers, more bonded than brothers even. Like, they're bonded beyond any yeah. of our ability to yeah. understand um, and uh-huh. then, yeah, when, when, when they come back, um, life just seems so meaningless. I don't know if it, that's the best word for it, but basically just like, Hey, um, this is, this is candy ass over here. So you hear some of that kind of, um, stuff. And then you also hear, you know, we wonder like, um, the, the worthiness of a cause, um, being worth fighting for or not, I, I think is a moot point to those guys when they're actually in those yeah. scenarios because they're really not out there fighting for the agenda of whatever politicians cause the conflict. They're there fighting for the guys right next to them, the, the guys That's in their right. unit. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. You know, so they're not out there, um, you know, fighting to the death because the president made some choice. They're they're out there fighting with their brothers, um, you know, that sort of thing. And I think that mentality is an important piece of military structure um the higher-ups who plan wars and 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 are are the ones mobilizing or using armies to push agenda understand that and make use of that um factor uh because they want people to fight as effectively and efficiently as possible because they have an agenda to push yep yeah. yeah the the documentary is called Restrepo. Restrepo. I've heard that, and I don't. Yeah. I know I haven't seen it. Um, so it's focused around veterans of the Afghan War. Yeah, huh. it is. Um, yeah, and they uh, Restrepo is somebody who you never actually see Restrepo, uh, but the the story starts because he had been killed in in uh, this Afghan valley. Okay. And this is like the the most dangerous valley of all places in Afghanistan. Hmm. And uh, um, once he got killed, it it affected those guys so much because he was just loved. Like hmm. they they loved him. Like it was like you said, they, they are closer than brothers. Yeah. Um, you know, they're they're just spent. They're living their life in fear. You know, they. They're getting, uh, they're they're taking sh- shells or landing next to them. You know, they're like they they have to have each other's back, mm-hmm. or they're not going to survive. And um, no, it's a, uh, um, it, it's called the Cor- Korangal Valley. That's right. Mm. Uh, that that was like um, a place where like everybody had to pass through, so they had to keep that open. I think. Okay. And uh, uh-huh. and that's where a lot of the Afghani's would. Um, put up their fight and they were just uh yeah it was a it was a, a fight that was just um brutal just well, brutal uh geographically bottlenecked passages like that are a really common place for conflicts to come to a head because when a when a massive army need, needs to mobilize um from one area to another area the enemies are going to look for um, condensed passages where the army is forced to diminish its strength by by going through fewer men at a time, like squeezing through a bottleneck, 
forces you to reduce your size, it'll it'll certainly elongate the formation of the army, but um, it forces you to reduce to conform to that smaller area, that small pass. And that's an yeah. easier place to obstruct or an easier place to to uh, attack advancing troops is when they're bottlenecked. So things like that are a really common um, place for shit to go down, essentially. Like even the ancient Greek and uh, the ancient Greek-Persian conflict of Thermopylae was... Uh, you ever see that movie 300 um, back in the day? I, I have not. I'm one it's, of the few that... It's not historically accurate at all. Um, I heard that, yeah, as, I heard aside that. Aside from the idea that um, 300 Spartans guarded this Thermopylae Pass um, against a Persian army of, I don't know, untold millions or whatever, and these 300 Spartans were able to hold back an entire army because they did it in this path, in this pass, where it was such a narrow corridor, it was only like a few dudes wide. Um, I'm sure some of those numbers are exaggerated or whatever, but that's essentially what happened is the giant Persian army uh, was was bogged down right there going through this tiny pass blocked by 300 uh, Spartans. Is uh, I did hear one thing that was interesting about the movie, and that, um, and this was somebody that I used to work with, and he was married to... Uh, his wife was from Greece. Okay. And he said that... Um, was their last name something and... Opolis? <laughs> my money is on that. <laughs> um, probably, yeah. I'm sure hers was. Uh, she was the one from Greece. Yeah. Um, and, and, I, and I think... Why am I saying that? I think that she could confirm this or, or I don't know. I don't know why. But um, he, he had some kind of... Uh, mm, attachment to to greece and uh but the warriors there i guess uh he said that most of them or not most but maybe it was most um they were gay and they had like they were partnered up with their lover or some something along those lines huh. and that that somehow created more of a bond or something along these lines i I don't, I don't quite remember it, but it was like, in like ancient times to, or like modern times. Uh, during the three hundred, oh. the three hundred war, like in actuality, mm -hmm. like he was saying that. Well, you do have the fighters there. There are some reports that of the Spartan wives uh, that that kind of held down the fort while these three hundred prime warriors went to go fight this uh, battle of Thermopylae. So, I mean, I certainly don't know for sure, but I, I don't know that they were all gay, or I wonder what uh, role that played in there. Huh. I wonder. Google that. Yeah. May were... Maybe they were like, maybe they were bi, maybe not all of them were. <laughs> maybe maybe it was like, hey, if you want to sign up this army, you need to be gay or bi. Yeah. That probably they were just like, well, I really case. want to defend my country, but uh, I don't know. I guess Paul's kind of handsome. Like, <laughs> I guess I wouldn't. I wouldn't kick old uh, uh, that guy out of bed. All right. Um, yeah, yeah. That's weird. Whether that was, I, I don't know. It, you know well, I'm you think going, what a far deviation from just up until recently the banning of gay people in in the military of just like, oh, you're gay, you can't be here. It's just like, oh, really? Have you ever heard of Thermopylae? Gay people, <laughs> people freaking plug that hole. Um, <laughs> bad joke. But uh, yeah, I wonder. Uh, yeah. That that's kind of crazy. And and I I wonder like well, I don't know. My first thought is who gives a shit who you like to sleep with while you're fighting and dying? Like does that really mm -hmm. play a role? I don't think yeah. so. 
Um, I'm sure some gay people could totally fight a war better than some straight guys and vice versa. I don't know that sexual orientation has a whole lot to play in, in your no, battling I, I abilities. His, I think his point was just that, that, um, there was like a bond. You, you were oh. bonded with some other guy okay. who also had a gun. You know what I mean? That Dude, you also think it would, it was... would devolve into bickering, you know, like, uh, Frank and Steve are gay and Steve just like, Frank, are you looking at Pete over there? Uh, he's all sweaty and muscular. Are you are you checking him out? Like, no, dude, come on, man. We're here together. We're fighting this this battle yeah. as like yeah. a couple, man. This is an important milestone in our relationship. And and uh, now he's still all jealous because he thinks he's looking at I don't know Pete or whatever name I said. Like that, well, that I'm seems have like to it get in touch to with that old friend, and it's going to be a little awkward now because I'm going to be like Don. <laughs> Fifteen years ago, you told me. <laughs> I've, been, I've been thinking about the something Greek warriors you said. were gay, and they had their gay lover with them on the battlefield. Tell me more. Let's let. I've been thinking about something ever since you mentioned it fifteen years ago. <laughs> uh, can okay. you shed some light on this this uh, gay lover theory? <laughs> you know, what, let the, me call him up right now. We'll get him on the. Line. Can you get him on the podcast? I, I, I need yeah. to know more. Yeah. <laughs> Google real quick uh, in that new invention you just created. Google. Um, Thermopylae Spartans gay. Oh yeah, if, yeah. Is there anything to this theory, or is is your friend maybe he's okay covering his own gayness? <laughs> maybe he's just like gay people are awesome. They they fucking won the battle of Thermopylae because they're gay. So being gay is great. And and I'm not gay. I'm just saying. I think one of his points was that um, in Greece, like the gay the gay back then it didn't have that stigma maybe it is what you're saying um well yeah. they are the fathers of naked wrestling um so oh, there it is yeah so there's that oh is there a theory um, okay. on ha, this? No, no i didn't look it up i'm sorry how do i spell thermopylae because it's not oh uh well google will help you so it's t-h-e-r-m-o-p <laughs> oh i have an m in there i somehow i put mom in thermopylae like thermo mop uh, Oh, Thermopylae. Thermopylae. Okay, Thermopylae gay battle. (laughs) Your wife is going to look at your search history. You're like, what the fuck? Well, you know what they say. uh, An an empty search history speaks more than a a full search history. Oh, my God. Yeah, that's true. Okay, the victorious gay Greek army that got canceled by... History. Ah. Oh, but this seems very oh. modern. They're using the word canceled. This was written like yeah. within the last few months. Okay. It was written in 2021, June 2020. I want some contemporary accounts. Can you find the Greek times from, I don't know, fucking 300 BC or whenever this Okay. Happened? Here's one from 2007. Don't ask, old. don't tell about the real 300. Ooh. Hmm. Okay. There again, they're, they're using a pretty... Yeah, uh, yeah. Okay. Era specific phrase. Okay, but this is in the San Diego Union Tribune. Oh, oh, this the, the San Diego Union Tribune. The San Diego Union Tribune. San, San Diegans. San San yes. Diego. Yes. It means okay, a whale's me... vagina. Great odds. Uh, they fought the last press. Sounds like. Um, let me just search for the word "gay" in it. That'll get me to the point. Ah, okay. Yeah, you got to put parentheses around gay. It must have the word gay in it. Yes. 
one of the other one other thing about this other ancient Greek 300 they were gay uh I'm pausing here because they don't there's no space between were and gay um they were gay not just gay this sacred band of Thebes this classical of today's special forces was composed entirely of older men and their younger male lovers. That's what he told me. That's oh, what he told me. Okay. So that's different. In Greece, it was really common for dudes to have, like, young boys they did, which is awful. But it played a role in their society. Um, like it was almost like an, well, an like apprentice. Well, like consenting pro- or, uh, or? Well... I don't know. I'm sure in some cases, yeah, probably. Maybe in other cases it was urged by the young boy's parents because it was a way to advance the young boy's opportunities and networking. So it was a lot like an apprenticeship. They would be like, hey, I'm assigned to this old blacksmith who's really awesome. Kind of sucks he he fucks me, but um, he's really helping me get ahead and advance my career in blacksmithing. Um, So I think it was something like that. Like they were almost assigned or taken in uh, in an apprentice-y kind of a way by older dudes because older dudes wanted to do young dudes. Um, ew, but that's uh, something. Yeah. That's something there. It's kind of went in a weird direction here. But anyway, military people are fucking impressive. (laughs) And uh, (laughs) how do we get on this? I don't know. How do we get off this is a better question. (laughs) Let's fucking redirect this train. Let's switch the tracks here. Um, (laughs) Yeah, no, there's some weird shit there. And even like like Roman society, which Roman society is really just kind of like a child society of Greek society. They were trying to model themselves after the Greeks a lot. And um, the Romans did a lot of that kind of stuff. Um, taking in young boys, uh, having young male lovers and stuff for, for dudes in power and that kind of thing, which to our modern society is very icky, uh, and, and shuddery, you know, this is very like, and eh, we don't want to talk about it, you know, cause we look at it through our eyes and our, our social understanding and morals. And it was just different back then. Not that it makes it okay. Or that even whether we think it's okay or not has any bearing on what it was millennia ago, but it was it was, you know, stuff like that. It was a part of society, uh, for better or for mm-hmm. worse. Uh, I don't know that our opinions matter. Yeah, there's there's one other other article I found: the elite gay army of ancient Greece, and this is about the Greek view on gay warriors. Mm. And it says the Thebans believe gay warriors fought better in order to impress and protect their lovers. If a lover fell during a battle, his partner would fight even harder to avenge his death. Or would he cry? I mean, you know, that would be sad, too, I guess. Uh, I don't know. This sounds like modern speculation. Um, And if it was like an older, established man taking a younger boy lover, are they, like, really in love? Or is this more of just kind of like a, well, I guess i got to pick out a new one when I get home kind of a thing, you know? Yeah. Um, Yeah. I don't know, but I will say... uh, Alexander the Great, who was Greek, um, uh, was famously into dudes, and um, we assign that the label of gay these days. I don't know that they really called it gay back then. They just probably kind of called it, he likes fucking stuff. Uh, and, um, you know, men or women, I don't think that they had a lot of, a lot of uh, social constructs attached to that sort of thing as we do now. And he was super in love with this younger dude, which Alexander was already a pretty young dude himself. But but as I understand, he was a younger dude um, named 
Oh, God dang, dude. Ah, now you have to Google it for me, dude. Um, Alexander the Great's lover. And this young guy drowned in a river when they were out on his endless military campaigns taking over the known world. Uh, I want to say a Feistian. Uh, oh, yeah. Uh-huh. Um, it has been suggested by some modern scholars that as well as being close friends, Alexander and Hephaestion, and that's um, spelled in a not yeah. so uh, understandable way, H-E-P-H-A-E-S-T-I-O-N, yeah. were also lovers. Yeah, so there is no speculation to that. Um, I don't know. I don't know why they would they would sugarcoat that so much. Like it's it's as far as all the researching and learning I've done, it's they were they were lovers, and he loved him so much that he made him a god after he died. So Feistian was like playing in a river or swimming or bathing or something and drowned in this river. And it was super devastating for Alexander. And he ended up like making him a god. And I think there's even like cities named after him or something like that. So they were more than just friends is uh, point, the point I'm trying to. Alexander the Great was Russian? Uh, no, no, no. He was Greece. Um, Macedonia. So, which was part of Greece, I don't really understand. And the different city-states of Greece were all, like, warring against each other. So it's not like Greece was a country as we think of Greece now. It was a bunch of Greek city-states. So, like, yeah. Sparta and Athens were both Greek city-states, but they were at war with each other all the fucking time. And Macedonia was another one of these city-states um, ruled by their own kings. And uh, Alexander was the son, or I think the stepson, of of King Philip king philip the second or the sixth or i don't know king philip uh played by <laughs> played by val kilmer in the movie <laughs> that's the um, important part and, yeah 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 so so alexander the great was val kilmer's son and and uh and he just kind of took the ball and ran with it and took over most of the known world and at some point he was near a river and his little boyfriend dude Hephaestion, drowned in the river and uh he made him a god named a bunch of cities after him and uh he was definitely more than just his his friend You know, one thing I'm interested in is um, I I came across an article that talks about the real history and implying that a lot of the history that we know mm-hmm. is inaccurate uh, based upon um, it giving one side uh-huh. of the story of sure. the, the winner's story, right? Um, and... I have it earmarked to read it. But oh, this I is about an article and, that you haven't read yet. You know, this is so. <laughs> nice. So there's this <laughs> yeah, article. I found it so fascinating. I, I, the, I plan on reading it. But uh... <laughs> but the the reason I'm I'm reading, the reason I'm bringing it up is because because I I feel oh, like yeah. I feel like that's the yeah. truth. I do feel strongly that a lot of what we've learned is completely false and i think there's massive amounts of of space in there of things that have happened that have been either taken yes. out or, or, or certainly in. spun and with uh, whatever narrative uh is is being is being sought after by the person telling it totally yeah yeah yeah, yeah. At, at the, the moment, moment is an important right. part yeah. yeah they can just change it and... totally um yep yeah, and we know that from um, every conflict everywhere, and and the Civil War is a really easy one to find examples of because it was Americans against Americans. We all talk the same language. All of the states that were involved in the enemy yes. uh, country or Confederacy are still around, and many of them are still very much clinging to their um, Confederate, you know, <laughs> identification. And uh, 
there's a lot of that that's very prevalent and very easy to point to from the Civil War era of, you know, the exact same battle being told in entirely different ways, or even just the point of the war. Um, You know, in the South, they'll refer to the Civil War as the War of Northern Aggression, not the Civil War. It was the North was being a dick, so we had to fight uh, sort of an angle. And we weren't fighting for slavery. We were fighting because the North invaded our country. I'm just like, okay, well, it's not really the entire story, but, you know, that's the way that narrative sounds. Um, so there's a lot of that. Well, well, this, what this guy said, and, and this is the one excerpt that I did read, and I'm going to go back and read it, and I'm going to tell you about it. Um, but he said that the North, he suggests that the North succeeded, succeeded. Oh, okay. So that's a very Southern perspective is to say that the country was formed predominantly in Southern states, the constitution and the declaration of independence and all these sorts of things were Southern, um, uh, milestones of the formation of a government. So the South was the real America and when the North decided to deviate from that heritage, they were the ones who took their ball and went home. Um, so that's that's a very common Southern uh, perspective, perspective or perception of the cause of the Civil War or that whole conflict. If I get this guy to do an interview, or they're oh, I'd love that, dude. Line? I would love that. Would you do? Fuck yeah, that'd you be would? awesome. Okay. Yeah, 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 no, I mean, exactly. like, yeah, yeah that, totally. No, that would be awesome. I would love to talk <laughs> to him about that. That that, and that's why I brought up this article that I haven't read yet because I I intend to to I'm going to listen to the. It's actually a two part okay. article. I'm going to listen. I'll forward it to you. Um, and uh, I, I want to hear that perspective just because I know that shit got tweaked. And I and and I'm not saying one side is completely right, other side is completely wrong. There's yeah, there's yeah, a the middle truth is in the middle for sure. But the victor, yeah, the truth is in the middle. But the victor really has a, a huge edge well, on what gets put in the history books. Yes, the hesitation comes from um, the story of that era is still to this day told very differently in southern states. So it's not like. The North is writing the books that kids in um, Louisiana or South Carolina are reading. They're still reading books that are socially and even some cases like legally mandated or or approved for curriculum. Um, Even to where I was reading a book about the Alamo and it was it was a group of dudes from Texas who were kind of exploring the myth of the Alamo battle and really shedding some light on it that makes the 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 story of the Alamo um a little less heroic which is not an which is not a popular uh viewpoint to have if you're in Texas um but these guys yeah. make it very clear that they're I think it's three dudes they're all from Texas they they revere Texas heritage and all that but they're historians and they're open to telling a story based on fact and not all the facts are 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 awesome or make Texas look awesome, or the motivations for the, that war um, look awesome. And they tell the story based on facts. And yeah. um, they got a lot of backlash yeah. over it. And they had mentioned something in the book where um, the the Texas law has something written on the books that's basically requiring that any narrative of the Alamo be told from a heroic perspective. And... 
It, yeah, there now, it is. Now yeah. that is egregious to me, and I would hate to put yeah. my kids in a public school system where any narrative is required to be told that makes a certain person look good or a certain side look good. Because information is important, yep. and if it's like, hey, I only want my kid taught about how awesome Texas is, um, that is just kind of ostrich head in the sand kind of kind of living, and I would never, uh, I wouldn't wish that on my worst enemy or their kids, you know? Like, that, that's just terrible um, ignorance and arrogance. Um, but there's a lot Definitely. of that. Uh, and, and, like, you, you take those instances back then— of um of what happened and how they're only told in that heroic standpoint and you just kind of overlay it with just the zeitgeist of what's going on right now Mm -hmm. you know and i'm not going to get into that but i'm just going to say like you know shit gets twisted up like a mofo Mm -hmm. and then whoever comes out on top puts puts all makes everything look like uh roses and flowers and and everything that they did was just Mm -hmm. uh uh, lotus flowers were just following in their footsteps yeah you know and it's like no no i i know shit is shit is fucked up especially in when you get into war yes and i want to i want to know you know like and here, here's the thing i do believe this is true one when you find out the real truth to something you, your mind can't shake it because it makes too much sense uh-huh totally you know you, you know what I mean? It's like it's like uh, it's like Judge Judy says, if it doesn't make sense, it's probably not true. And I mean, that's a real basic statement and everything. But it, but, but it boils a complex idea down to the raw simplicity of it all, where it's just like you can smell bullshit. Trust yeah. your nose. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Someone can keep telling you that that big pile of shit isn't shit, but you can smell it. And you're like, I'm pretty sure that's shit, dude. And someone can tell you all day long it's not. Um, you know, that it's a pile of fudge, but, uh, you know, trust your gut. And, and I think a lot of that revision history is, is that simple? Some of it's not so simple. Some of it really does require some digging. Mm-hmm. Um, like even the, uh, the, the Alamo story for me, I just always kind of took the general myth story for truth. Um, but, uh, there's a lot more there and I don't know that there's a lot to be ashamed of because so much of the. America's story is us kind of overstepping our bounds, um, kind of being assholes, certainly committing genocide, um, taking land that that we have no right to take because it's valuable or just because we simply want it or for the political advancement of ambitious men, uh, all these reasons. And it, I, I say it's nothing to be ashamed of because it's nothing new. Um, you know, human aggression and overreaching is certainly not unique or new. It's not unique to America. It's not unique to our era. It's 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 one of the things that people do. Yeah. Um, it's you know, men, um, people are good and bad, and it's just one of those bad elements. So to pretend that America was just founded on on you know peaches and cream, and we've only fought justified wars, and we've always got everyone's best, uh, you know best intentions in mind or, or you know we're always trying to do the right thing is just it's just bullshit and and uh you know something like the the strategic efforts to take texas from mexico was no different and it certainly wasn't a matter of these you know small band of patriots um holding their own to the last man against an a against a uh, unjustified aggressive right. Mexican government yeah. is simply bullshit uh-huh. but that's the 
that's the narrative that you're going to be apparently like by law be taught if you're going to school in Texas. Um, you know, so that's sad for kids in Texas um, and their awareness of of their own country's history or just, you know, world history in general. And, you know, the truth behind that, that we wanted to take Texas, that maybe it was kind of an underhanded move by Andrew Jackson and Sam Houston, uh, is is just kind of, you know, well, uh, that's part of the story. I mean, a lot like the the Mexican-American War, which was really only a war because we discover, or gold was discovered in California, and no one gave a shit about California until gold was discovered here. And then magically, like a year or two after, uh, you know, um, that, that year in, what, 1849, uh, all of a sudden we absolutely had to have California. Um, Polk's War, James Polk. Uh, there, there's just no hiding yeah. that. Like, you can't just say like, "Oh, Mexico got aggressive uh, and and uh, we had to step in and do vicious. shit." Like, they no, were, no. they were going to destroy everything. Oh, yeah, they were quiet ranchers, and California was totally chill. And then gold was discovered here, and we're like, uh, "We want that." Um, so, really, in the, in the story of our neighbors, the Mexicans, we've been the huge asshole in every branch of that story tree that I'm aware yeah. of. And it just is what it is. I don't feel ashamed of that. I just feel like that's what it is. I certainly had no role in in any of those decisions, and no one alive today did either. Um, But let's not rewrite the story to make us all just feel good about ourselves. Like, how can you truly feel good about yourself if you're just making shit up? No, and I think that summary is great, too, because I think that that kind of a story right there, very simplistic, is the predication for just about every conflict. Uh, Somebody, there's, there's a greed power. Uh, somebody wants something, mm-hmm. the land and or resources that are on that land for whatever reason. Yeah. They go in, they attack it. They make those people that they're attacking, which are probably just families, family men that just want to defend mm-hmm. their, their life and their, their livelihood. And they make them into to sound egregious and that they were actually performing atrocious things that, you know, they, they, they victimize, they make them look bad because you got to make somebody look bad if you're going to go in and destroy them well that all boils back into that powerful tool of propaganda that we touched on earlier in the Uh show where it's it's one of the most effective war machine tools ever because yeah before you mobilize a population to go and attack a quiet state full of mexican ranchers like california Uh you've got to motivate them by either hatred or greed and you got to convince them that you know these mexicans are the devil or they're sitting on untold millions that you and your family can just go and dig up out of the ground um if only these you know uh mexicans were out of the way and you know that propaganda um is used to mobilize the society to not not just uh pack up their shit and go to mexico or go to well mexico yeah go to california and go take this gold, but even if they never go, if they just stay at their home in New York, it causes them to support the war um, because now they're they're personally invested or at least personally convinced that it's the right thing to do. So they're going to support the war and vote for the people who are pushing the war because now they're on board with the war, and um, you know that's that's how you how you push that agenda. Yep. You know, yeah, you um, must demonize before you the destroy whole, them. Like, and that, that's right. why you start, you look at, you, you got to be watchful of like when that demonization is happening, because that is a purposeful demonization before somebody sure. wants to take them out for, uh, whatever, whatever reason. Um, but sure. No, that's a great point. That's, uh, 
that's that's dead on. And we see that happening all the yeah. time. We even we all even do it in our own lives. Like if you're angry at someone and you want to explain why you're angry about that person like say say i'm really mad at someone you don't know Mm -hmm. i want to explain to you how much i hate this person i'm going to use language to minimize them i'm i'm not just going to say derek i'm really mad at this guy because he stole twenty dollars from me i'm going to use language that says like derek i'm really angry at this piece of shit this petty little thief um, I'm going to use language to diminish the idea of him in your eyes, and I'm filling you with propaganda and getting you on my side about why I should hate this guy. When maybe there's more to the story. Maybe uh, maybe I owe that guy 20 bucks, and I was never paying him, and he just decided to take it out of my wallet when I was in the bathroom. Maybe now his theft is a little more justified, but I'm not going to tell you that. I'm going to tell you how he's a little you know, conniving crackhead who stole my $20 when, when I was uh, in church. Or something, you know? Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. We're we're so we're able to be influenced like that so easily, mm-hmm. I think, and e- especially in a mass scale. And uh it's kinda scary. And and but nothing's changed through time. No. Nope. It's not new. No. This has always happened. Mm-hmm. Ever since the written word, we can prove it was being done, and I'm sure long before the written word when it was just oral uh stories or, or oral presentations before there was any writing or recording then this is exactly how humans communicate and build power and manipulate others uh, individually or en masse. Yeah. Yeah. We're some shit people. Humans are a motherfucker. (laughs) We're amazing. And we're also so terrible all at the same time. You know, uh, what it makes me think is the, um, this is the way my Zen teacher would say it. It's the gross sensing mechanism. That and gross meaning like not disgusting, obviously, but just uh, it doesn't take um, individual. Uh, it doesn't take small minutia points into we we th- only we na- gravitate to good and or bad, All good right. versus bad, good versus evil, <laughs> uh, and and that that's that's what we gravitate to, you know, and we right. we just we're so easy to set up that way and say. Sure. Hey, this is good. This is bad, and and we think in the dichotomies, and we we only we kind think of in have dichotomies, like, like like a binary perspective. I need to see something as either being good or bad, and then I'll decide to what degree. But it has to be in one of those boxes. Yeah, and, and we right. live our life that way. Like the hmm. entire, we we live our life continuously trying to avoid the bad and trying to go towards the good. I wonder and, if that goes down to like just raw primal instinct in our dna to identify something as threat or not threat like our just raw survival instinct i bet you're right yeah i bet i bet you know there like there's a reason for everything right it's not sure. like there's not a reason for everything there's a reason for everything and and uh yeah if 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 we were presented with a threat um, we're not going to sit and say, oh, well, wait a minute. Maybe it's not completely a threat. Let's, uh, let's assess the situation a little bit more. Right. And, uh, and in the meantime, I'm going to get killed while I'm assessing the situation. Yeah. 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 Well, I'm <laughs> sitting here like measuring the length of that Jaguar's teeth. I'm being eaten. Yeah. 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 Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. But that, that's totally like the human way. Um, and then also justification, like once you've decided whether it's threat or non-threat or good or bad, you feel the need to justify that decision by getting other people on board. Um, uh-huh. So you want to rally people around your decision 
and use language again to to bring them onto your side to gain their agreement and reinforce the decision that you've made um, because that's like gratifying and that's also part of I think our our raw social structure of wanting to build a group of people around ourselves is we want to find a group that's like-minded um, so we're going to try to convince people that we're right so that we're all in agreement so that we can operate as a cohesive more powerful unit so I think we want to do that inherently not just to make ourselves feel good so that I have you on board thinking this guy who stole my 20 bucks is a dick but that makes me stronger by having you on my side um, so that now we are more of a combined unit of of common thought on the subject yeah yeah we should yeah. go kick that guy's no, ass there and then and then inside that uh tribe right because we're kind of describing a tribe sure. um where in inside the tribe then there's the jockeying of position within that tribe as yeah. well oh yeah yeah totally <laughs> so once you and i are in a tribe and we're in agreement that that guy who stole my 20 bucks sucks then you and i have to establish our tribal social structure or hierarchy yeah Totally. So, like, we're in agreement that uh -huh. that guy sucks, but we have to find other things that we can we can differentiate ourselves by because we we so we need to find our our placement within our that guy sucks tribe. Oh, all right. Yeah. All right. Yep. Well, since it was my twenty bucks, I should certainly be the president of our tribe. Because <laughs> 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 will you support me? Will you vote for me? Yeah, uh, I got to start developing some propaganda to get yeah. you to vote for me. I got to yeah, make I'll you afraid of that guy, sure. and I'm the well, only sure. one who can protect you against that guy from stealing your twenty bucks. Because I've already fallen victim to him, victim to him, and I know his tricks. So um, elect me, and I will ensure that your twenty bucks is never stolen. It's easy to elect you because you don't have a last name that's like Weiner or something. <laughs> you know? so I know you're a good oh, guy. dude, Anthony Weiner! It blows me away every yeah. time. He crosses my mind, and I, I, I guess I have to admit that Anthony Weiner crosses my mind more often than I more often than I would like. But yeah, how does a guy named Anthony Weiner rise to prominence? <laughs> rise? That was an inadvertent pun. I didn't mean it. <laughs> um, but like, dude, his very first—I think we've even said this—like his very first attempt at at gaining office was what, like local fucking school board director or something like whatever early early uh, elected seats a person can go for fucking Goodness. you know like a mayor or something and that's probably not even the first elected office someone goes for mayor's pretty big but anyway at some normal entry-level office election the name anthony weiner appeared on a ballot and someone checked it someone's like yeah that's that's my guy i'm i'm fucking weiner all the way i that, that came up for me because there's uh like midterm primaries that are coming up around uh -huh. here and uh so somebody is running and their last name is wiener no and i just you can't I, I don't know i can't do I it can't i can't vote for I wiener i'm sorry that i'm that superficial maybe this is my gross sensing huh. mechanism but maybe like i just it, it maybe it's surprising that more guys named wiener aren't elected in greece <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah maybe so sorry greece uh, sorry but according to history, uh, you're super gay. So move, move to Greece, Wiener. Move, yeah, dude. I mean, you think he? I mean, he might be like the president of Greece in no time. You know, to just be like, oh, I don't know this guy, Wiener, but uh, I'm for him. I'm all about the Wiener. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Amen. 
Oh my god, dude. Yeah, I don't know how someone with a weird ass last name like that uh ever gets a political career going. Let alone gets all the way up to what what was he a senator or something when when he got busted for um texting dick pics? I mean, shocker, a guy named Wiener is texting dick pics. Uh who yeah. to thunk it? Yeah. Yeah. But, no, I I think you're right. I think he was. I like that um, I, I like that he didn't to even do the girls, thing. to to 15-year-olds. Oh, uh, yeah, that's that's yeah, gross. That's like so dig this. Okay, GTFO. so wow. would it have been better if it was underage boys, like the Greek thing, the or the even Greek and Roman thing, the ancient guy in power thing taking on like young boys as lovers? Um, you know, we we raise an eyebrow at that. Would it have been different if they were taking on young girls as lovers? Like it's just as bad, you know? Yes and no. I think we tend to look at like women as being the victim of of things like that just be so like old powerful guy takes a 15 year old girl as a lover that's better than old powerful guy taking a 15 year old boy as a lover boy this is tough tough to say i mean both bad obviously yeah they're both bad Um, although one is super common in those old days and even in a lot of places in the world today like 15 year old girls are married off by their family in a lot of places in the world today Uh, and it was super common back in the day which to me is disgusting because now as a dad, uh, yeah. a fifteen-year-old is a kid. You know, that's a baby. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, God, dude. Um, no, I, I, but, to me, I, I think it comes down to like, um, you know, we're the ones with the testosterone, and we will do anything in order to get laid. Sometimes, like there is that whole like we are deceptive, and I mean. It, Honestly, I I really have not much been that way. I'm I but I didn't get laid much at all either. Um and, but uh you know, I think men men will do anything sometimes in order to uh get laid and um women are more like uh when when they do find a partner, I feel like they're more like okay, I'm going to attach my hitch to him and um, they want a partner for protection. A, yes, they want to form wants... a union where guys just want to fuck. Yeah, yeah. All right. Well, which makes sense because the raw human need of needing to um, have babies, you know, like uh, um, I'm trying to think of the P word, and I'm 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 brain farting like you were earlier. Uh, proliferate or propagate or basically just have babies, like to replicate. Um, uh, for guys, we don't carry a baby. So for us, it's just operation spread your seed around as much as you can. And if you get a girl pregnant, then she's out of commission for the better part of a year. So you need to spread your seed to other women to be able to have as many babies as you possibly can and spread your seed, um, to, uh, obviously as many women as you can for as long as you can. But for women, once they get pregnant, they are pregnant for the better part of a year then they have an infant and they're they're hindered by the the needs of that infant to where they need someone to take care of them so it makes sense for them to look for a mate who's going to support them and be there for them financially emotionally and protectively and all those different things they need all that because they're responsible for this infant growing him in their belly and then birthing him and then raising them so for like several years the woman is I don't know, burdened is the best word, but I mean, they're on the hook for making sure this baby is um, raised and stays alive. Whereas men, really, if it's operation spread your seed, it's just fucking skeet skeet all over the place, you know? 
Yeah, that's a great description. And like you said that you described why it's different. That's yeah. why it's different. Yeah, so that's because why that inherent the stakes motivation are way higher for a woman. Yeah, 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 totally. Uh, just by necessity. But all that changes now. I mean, sure, forever when um, you know uh, social systems in place to help a single mother or uh, you know uh, kids who aren't being provided for before any of these social safety nets existed, uh, it was a much more uh, dependent position a woman would be in uh, becoming pregnant. So all of that is structured around those necessities, whereas now all of that's different. You know, women work while they have babies, and obviously women are, are just as able to earn a living um, as as any guy is. So it's just all entirely different. And those are fairly new social um, uh, events to where the whole social structure of all of that necessity and, and um, stuff ingrained in our behavior is just all up in the air now. Um, which is pretty cool, you know? Why not? Well, we we need to emphasize that, like, to have, to raise successful kids, uh, and I say successful just, like, mentally sound kids, having two parents, oh. I think, is is important, too, though. Because uh, those social structures, will, they, they tend to uh, de-emphasize sometimes the importance of having a, a cohesive family. Yeah, uh... Well, and I think that's in part to be sensitive to the insanely huge numbers of kids who are growing up without uh, mom and dad married, the, the traditional family structure, is you don't want to say, oh, man, if you don't have married parents, you're fucked, uh, because so many kids are in that situation. So we have to be sensitive to, um, you know, not saying that if you don't have married parents, then you're in just a, a, a huge disadvantage, you know what I mean? But I think uh, most psychologists would agree that it's super, super important that the mom and the dad stick together and raise the baby together and model for you them. You need a psychologist to tell you that, though? I, well, no. I think it's pretty obvious. Uh, totally. No, no, it's totally obvious. Um, and and uh, I couldn't agree more that, that that's important. Um, but I also think it's important that we don't get stuck in the social rigidity that they had in like i mean for most of human history but uh like in the 50s you know if if you were uh a woman who was with a guy who was like a piece of shit he was a drunk he hit you all the time and all that kind of stuff and you have a baby together that woman is is really bound by social acceptance to stay with that drunk wife-beating asshole um and if she does decide to divorce him then she's like a social outcast a lot of ways. Uh You know, she's like the divorced single mom and looked down upon and, you know, other women turn their back on her in the grocery store and all that kind of just shit that we can't even wrap our mind around. But that wasn't that long ago, you know what I mean? Um, Yeah, no, and it still exists in, in, uh, like, more of the uh, Asian countries. Oh, really? Where, like, if you're divorced, Mm -hmm. like, you you just, you should not ever be divorced. Like, a divorced woman, they, they look at as being, like, um, you know, I don't know, but very different for the guy, even in these scenarios yeah. we're talking about, like in the fifties to be a divorced man, maybe you're not eligible for certain things like to be elected president as a uh, divorced man would have been hard in those days, but you're certainly not socially ostracized to the extent that a divorced woman is, um, or was, um, yeah. I don't know if it's like that in Japan or whatever, but it was certainly like that here in, uh, in the good old days. Um, you know, when America was great, uh, when, when it was totally okay for guys to be divorced, but not for women, 
so that's certainly a, going too far the other direction, preserving the mm-hmm. sanctity of marriage and the importance of family. Like all of those things totally exist, but not not at any cost, right? Yeah, yeah. No, this, in my like this stuff is great to talk about. You know what I mean? Because it's like there's those uh, the things that are like taboo that um you're not supposed to mention but you know it's there are inequities yeah uh, that are just like baked into the fabric of our society and and then a lot of times i think the 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 reflex for a lot of people is to get angry over those inequities you know mm-hmm. and and right the wrong and go fight the the oppressor or the whatever but you know the, it's it's baked in the fabric of society it's not necessarily um one oppressor that's doing that to, right uh some other place i mean it, you know because like if you look at i mean some of the the horrible things that even we we consider even that were really bad like regarding n- women's rights that women had such l- more limited rights way back then and i guarantee back then you would find the women that would support that, you know, too, you know what I mean? And I'm not making, I'm not saying that, you know, oh, but it's yeah, our gross totally. sen- sensing so mechanism you figure, I mean, to Women didn't to... even get the right to vote until like 1920. Um, they just hit their, their hundred year anniversary of being able to vote just a couple of years ago. I mean, a hundred years is nothing. Um, technically yeah. African Americans in, in America, got their right to vote before women. Uh, it was largely blocked and impeded until like the '60s, and even and even then, in a lot of ways. But uh, yeah, no, that, that kind of thing is 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 crazy. How long it took for any level of equality, even like land ownership or inheritance rights for women? Um, they would, God, back in the day, a, a widow would basically just be the steward of a man's dis- of a man's estate when he died she would basically just be holding it until his oldest son was old enough to take it kind of thing you know it's just like oh here woman you can kind of you know hold on to this deed until the you know the boy is 16 and then he gets it that sort of thing like they just weren't looked at as equal in any way they were just you know baby makers and and meal makers and um uh, we're not that far from that that shift in inequality and still working at it you know i i think we're certainly moving in the right direction and there's no arguing that we're one of the most advanced societies in that sense in the world but we're certainly not the most we still make a big deal about women running for president it was still a big deal like when hillary clinton was the likely winner of that um of that election it was just like oh my god she'll be the first woman president and it's just like yeah and she'll be like the 80th in the world um, we're, we're not that advanced. It was not that big of a deal. I mean, sure, it's a big deal. I don't mean to diminish it, but we shouldn't look at it as a big deal. We should look at it as a given. Like, uh, yeah, so a woman might be president. That's cool. Let's look at the issues and decide if if she as an entity is the kind of president we want. Don't just vote for her or not vote for her because of her gender. Like, damn, yeah. dude, that's knuckle-dragger. Um, yeah, yeah, that that's going in the opposite direction. That's insane. You know what I mean? Just like, oh, yeah. I, I'm just ready for the first female president, so I'll vote for her no matter what. Just like, what? That's insane. Mm-hmm. Like, that's entirely sexist uh, at its core. Yeah, yeah exactly. You yeah, know what I mean? Like, right. that that's nuts. That's not equality. Um, uh-huh. So we're still going through those spasms as a society in our advancement. Um, 
which I know we like to pat ourselves on the back as if we're the most socially advanced or the most freedom-loving country or and all those kind of things, but we're just not. And um, I think it's, it's uh, embarrassing to pretend we are, and it's a much better look if we're humble about it and we accept our own advancement at our own pace and worry about ourselves instead of worrying about how much better than everyone else we are. Yeah, we're also not the worst in a lot of these things that they not say even that close. we're the worst in. I mean, dude, like when certain... it comes to racism, you know, they oh, say dude. like America oh, yeah. is like America is racism. Yeah. And let me tell you, I, I've lived in Germany and I've had my black classmates go downtown with me before uh-huh. and it ain't pretty. Oh, really? It ain't pretty. Yeah. No. Oh, yeah. Wow. They, the, the N word flies out has well, flown out before. I see examples um, a lot in soccer games where, and all over the world, and you'll be surprised by some of the countries where you'll find that, oh, some countries in the in the media spotlight because the crowd was like throwing bananas at a black soccer player or something. Yeah, and you're just like, right. what the fuck? Uh-huh. That's still like, that happens? You know, like, dude. Yeah, or, or the gay... Or being try to try to be gay in Mexico, uh, yeah, yeah, you know, or 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 even be black in Mexico, uh, or or try to be gay or black in China or Japan, or try to be white mm. in Japan. I could do that, you know, yeah, like, no. and, and maybe I could try to be gay somewhere, but it'd be hard to try to be black somewhere. <laughs> you know, like I'm doing my best. Be, I'm, yeah, I'm, being gay I'm really be trying hard. I'm I'm not succeeding here. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, I mean, yeah. The, it's uh things get sometimes they get blown out of proportion and we make a a big deal out of certain uh, things yeah but 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 don't get me wrong i think i think the con it's the conversation it's yeah. the awareness that we need like because things don't get things don't change by taking a, a fist and, and pounding uh, it on somebody's face things change by discussion mm-hmm. and awareness and increasing our awareness of inequities, just talking about them. And then that is what, uh, it's just an awareness. I think, I think that, that's a that really important point. Things. And that's at the, the very core of any advancement as a society or even as an individual is, is the willingness to discuss things. And inherently, yeah, access to information is key to being to discussing things because you have to be able to discuss things from a informed or educated perspective. Other than that, you're just regurgitating bad information or propaganda or flat out lies and things like government mandates of telling a, a story of origin only from a heroic perspective is the complete antithesis of, of free education and giving people a good foundation from which to argue or, or develop because you're already giving them a cracked foundation um, at the earliest stages. And then even like book banning and that sort of thing. Like to me, that feels very medieval um, to to ban books. Uh, aside from, I mean, I guess the only book banning I could ever be on board with is something like a, a how to build nuclear bomb instruction manual or something like, yeah, I think we probably all agree that's not a great thing to have in the fucking library. But other yeah. than that, uh, ideas, uh, things like that, that, that aren't manuals for killing people, um, should never, ever be banned. That to Mm -hmm. me is disgusting to even consider in this day and age in a, in a society that prides itself on being the cradle of freedom. Um, I, I find that to be very hypocritical and, uh, gross. Yeah. And, And that, that coupled with the censorship of, uh, you know, we don't want, we, we're trying to act like, you know, all these big tech companies are not our town squares, um, but they are. 
Right. And, uh, you know, we, we're, we're not going to get through any problems if we're not able to, to talk, you know, and, right. uh, and, and right. banning books as well. It's like, this is like, you don't just shut up what you don't want to hear. Right. Like that's, that's not, that's not how you, you, we progress. No, we, we have long form communication, you know what I mean? And, and that's mm-hmm. where like, you know, I, I do like to hear Rogan and like, they have that long form communication and it's like, because you can't just answer something in a five minute segment. Right. And, you know, and anyone who's listened to any number of Joe Rogan's episodes, um, has to admit that he has every perspective you can possibly imagine. And then he has a few more that you never thought of. And it's certainly not everyone on there pushing one narrative or, or on one side of the aisle or or from one perspective or whatever. He's got some fucking out there guests, dude. And uh, the only thing they all have in common is they're all interesting. And that's what's fun is conversation. And and uh, I mean, I think that's what you and I are trying to do here, too, is is just have this open forum of conversation to where truly no topic is off the table. Whether it's something I agree with or disagree with, I honestly feel like things I disagree with are more fun to explore because I would love to discover information that causes me to change my mind. It makes me fucking ecstatic to learn something new, to feel like I've advanced in a, in a progress of thought. And uh, I know that you're the same way, that, that just yeah. having my own ideas and preconceived notions uh, reinforced is gratifying, but it... It's not it's not how you get better or smarter or learn. And uh, it's so much more fun to um, expand your ideas past your comfort zone. Absolutely. Yeah, you said it perfectly. I, and you're right. I I am a truth seeker. I want to know what the truth is on, yeah. on every at every level. I want to know what the truth. Yeah. Are, are you constantly um, trying to prove yourself wrong? Do you do that or do you? I mean, I think I know you do, and and I, and I think that's an important thing for people to when you like. Okay, so I think this, and it's all based on this particular fact or understanding of a fact. I won't just, I, I can't just uh, take that as it is. I have to go in and just dig into that one a little bit deeper, and just go like, okay, I totally think this. Like, am I wrong? I want to go in and find, and I'm trying to find if I'm wrong. And more often than not, you'll go find something. Maybe you're not entirely wrong, but there's certainly something you didn't get right. Almost always. Yeah. And, and before proving yourself wrong, you have to come to a conclusion about what you think about a certain thing is. And usually like, I, I don't listen. Like if I hear any piece of news or info or something from one source, um, I take it with a grain of salt. And I'm like, okay, okay, uh, they're right. saying this. And that's kind of my standpoint. They're yeah. saying this. And I I literally look at, um, and and I, I'm an information junkie. I probably have like 100 uh, sources easily that I, that I look mm-hmm. at for things. And then when I hear somebody else kind of say something the same way or not or or the same thing in a totally different way in a totally different perspective and i know and i'm confident those two sources don't mm-hmm. know each other then i start to say okay that there might be a, some right. truth to that and then i i kind of build upon those mm-hmm. experiences of of many different sources of that are right. saying something about any 
particular subject. And then that's how I kind of collect the data and I collect the data and I say, okay, well that, that's how I come to a certain right. conclusion. So I, after I come to that conclusion, usually at that point it's, it's solidified because it wasn't just me believing, uh, from one source saying, okay, yeah, they say this, I believe it, but it was arrived from, uh, listening to lots of different sources and then, coming to that conclusion. So usually at the time that I do have a conclusion, I do feel I, I have it because I do yeah. feel comfortable that that is yeah, relatively. Kinda. So like based on the, uh, all the different things I looked into, here's kind of where I feel like the truth is probably lying. It's not, it's not like an exact, Oh, this is definitely what happened. It's, you know, Hey, based on everything I learned, uh, this is where I landed as far as the story or the truth behind the X, Y, Z. Um, and sure. it could be wrong too, right? I mean, because we're, we're it's still, we're just receiving right. information from multiple sources that, uh, you know, er, we all have agendas and everybody has an agenda and, and, uh, you're only getting tidbits of information. Sometimes those tidbits, you have to build them all together in order to create a larger picture. And then that picture is the best you got to go off of, but, um, that could still be wrong. So you have to be willing to look at that and say, that yeah, it's fucking yeah, yeah. wrong. I, I, I enjoy when I'm proved wrong. I don't know if that's a weird thing or whatever, but I do, I do like when I really think something is one way and then you dig into it and find out, oh, it's entirely different. It's this way. I feel, yeah, uh, uh-huh. accomplished in learning, not, oh, I've been proven wrong and I either need to sweep that under the rug or stop reading because I'm just learning how I'm wrong. Like, I want to preserve that false feeling of correctness. Like, I love shattering that to pieces, you know, and finding out, oh, I was totally off base. Um, To me, that's fun. And I I like to think most people feel that way. It feels like some people get really entrenched in in a programmed or, or, uh, uh, you know, a certain set of ideas or whatever, but... Um, I think everyone's that way to an extent, I hope. Yeah. No, yeah. I mean, no, absolutely. I think, uh, most majority of people are probably that way. Not probably yeah. they, they are, you know, because nobody wants to, nobody wants to second guess or question anything. Nobody, here's the thing. Nobody wants to second guess their worldview. And because what that trait that you're talking about is, is a rare trait because that worldview People will go to great lengths to protect it, uh, because it, once if that worldview collapses, then that means they have to understand. Well, they have to try to understand. Yeah, yeah, that's how things actually. So, are. like when when you put it that way, like the first thing that pops into my head is religion, where people decide on a certain yeah. narrative, and they'll defend that to the death. And if you question that in any way, they just entirely shut down. It's not like most. Yeah. Well, I mean, some religious mm-hmm. people for sure are willing to talk about things and and admit they don't know certain things or be open to. Um, someone who just wants to poke holes in their story, which I'm a dick. Mm-hmm. But uh, uh, I think some people just protect it to the death and are unwilling to explore yeah. anything that may lead down a path of of changing their their chosen narrative. And that's a sad place to be. Yeah, definitely. you know. Um, yeah, yeah. Well. I don't know. Shit, Derek, this was a lot of fun, man. We really got into a fun Yeah, Yeah, we, we kind of got deep here. on this one, didn't we? Yeah, we kind of talked yeah. before the show. I was just like, dude, uh, our planned interview rescheduled. Um, I did no preparation for this show, but let's just turn on the mics and see what happens. And um, I'm really glad that it was just you and I today. We got into some fun, fun, uh, fun yeah, topics man. today. This, was, this is number 40. Number 40? Really? Yeah. <laughs> wow. 
That sounds like a lot. Well, I mean, it, it sounds like not many, but it also sounds like a lot. Uh, fuck, we've done 40 shows. That's pretty great. It's like 80 hours. Uh, yeah, I mean, some of our shows are longer than two hours. Some are shorter, I guess. So, yeah, maybe we yeah. average somewhere in there. That is, dude. That's like that's like a full uh, pay period for, <laughs> for a biweekly pay period of content. Yeah. Wow. That's awesome, man. Well, yeah, yeah I'm excited. To well, congrats on 40 hours, dude. This has been a ton of fun. Yeah, man. Oh, I mean 40 episodes, not 40 hours. Yeah, 40. Yeah. yeah. All right. Well, cheers to 40 more. Um, so... Yeah. Great talking to you, man. This is a lot of fun. And again, you look yeah, fantastic. You too, Your camera is incredible. Oh, great. I'm surprised great. I can thank think you. of anything while I'm just gazing into your ultra clear eyes. Oh, yeah, thank you. And and your and your <laughs> graying stubbly beard. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> yeah. I got a haircut the other day right. and uh uh yeah. I have a lot of gray hair under my longer brown hair. I don't know how that works, but I didn't see a lot of gray and then I got a haircut where he cut the sides pretty short. See? And, uh, oh yeah! Ah uh, yeah! Here you go! Oh, oh yeah! There it is! There it is! Yeah! Oh yeah. shit! Oh shit! So I think I'm gonna be growing my hair out a little longer. <laughs> it seems to hide all that gray uh, a little bit. Yeah. But, yeah. Yeah. Well. Anyway. All right, fellow old man. Great talking to you, right, man. Have a yeah. You all too, right, man. Brother. Have a great rest okay. of the day, man. All right, you too, bro. Someone can keep telling you that that big pile of shit isn't shit, but you can smell it, and you're like. I'm pretty sure that's shit, dude. Hey, this is Mike. Thanks so much for joining us. We really, really do appreciate you. And we hope you're enjoying the show. Derek and I sure have a ton of fun doing it for you. If you'd like to support the show, that would be great. Um, you could follow or subscribe to the podcast in your favorite podcast app. Uh, also, if you want to like the show or leave a good review, that would be cool. Let us know we're doing a good job. We'd appreciate it. Uh, in most podcast apps, you can also click the little bell icon thing, and that means you'll get a notification on your phone every time we put out a new episode. So that's kind of cool. Also, if you want to reach out and say what's up, we'd love to hear from you. You can hit us up on Twitter at Derek and Mike Pod. We're also on Instagram as Derek and Mike, or you can go to our website, DerekandMike.com. And if you want to go super old school and antisocial, you could even shoot us an email, info at DerekandMike.com. Thanks again for listening. We really, really do appreciate you, and we look forward to talking to you again next time.